Those you may be dismissed for inclined kids. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to jump back into Mark this week and next week, and then I'm going to take a rabbit trail off on next week's passage for a few weeks and talk about God's concept of rest and what it looks like to have a restful rhythm of life. And so that'll be a great uh, opportunity for you, but also for you to invite others and uh, come check out Incline and uh, hear very practical and challenging uh, series God's placed on our heart. You know, I uh, stand in here and I was thinking through just looking in that office and uh, for several, for the first two or three years that I worked here, I came in there and I kind of kept to myself uh, during the lunchtime, but uh, I had that routine and I brought the same lunch every single day. Does anybody want to guess what a single young man made for himself every day? Yeah, peanut butter and jelly. Every day for, well, for my first three years of teaching, every single day, peanut butter and jelly just brought it in. Occasionally, they'd have food for us in the lounge, so I'd combine the two. But it was good. It gave me a boost of energy. It was easy, and it became my routine, my, my habit. I don't know if you have any of those kind of habits where you, you just do things. It's because you've always done it. It's the way you've always done it. It's, it's your rhythm. It's your routine. And you know, at this time of year is the time where we start to look at our rhythms and routine and try things that are new. Uh, I often have always liked to rearrange furniture on New Year's Day, but our house that we're in now kind of is like, this is the one way it's going to work. So <coughs> we rearranged in here, <laughs> as you can see. But yeah, we're trying it, you know, new up on stage, allow our drummer to have a little more fun while he's working out there and, and uh, get you all to enjoy singing and hearing yourselves and and so it's a new time, a new time of year to start new things. I don't know if you all are having any goals or routines that you're addressing or things you want to do. Uh, the experts tell us that uh, it takes about 30 to 60 days to get a new habit in place, uh, to build a new habit, to build a new routine or rhythm. And uh, sometimes that can be pretty challenging to keep it going. I know that uh, I have to look at going to the Y at a different time for at least four weeks once the year starts. And then it gets back to normal, and the people who are once enthused, it kind of thins out a little bit. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, though, that once I got married uh, and had the opportunity for some better food during lunch, it wasn't hard to change that routine of the peanut butter and jelly uh, to break out of it. Sometimes there are things that come into our lives, uh, like for me, a wife. We won't talk about my other bachelor habits. Um, there are things that come into our lives that make it a little easier to change out of our routine um, or force us to change out of it. Uh, if you've got a really strong routine in your life, if you've got something that you do a lot of, people might say you're religious at it. Uh, he cleans the house religiously. Or she works out religiously. And then that can have a good and a bad side to it, right? Uh, the good side is you're committed and dedicated and consistent in what you do. The bad side is that that thing that you're religious at doing may have such a priority that you miss out on other things in life. Uh, it may become something that is actually an idol or something that you do uh, worship within your life. And so if you have that, uh, you often do the routine religiously, and it means that it's such a routine maybe you don't even think about what you're doing. Uh, you 
forgotten the meaning behind it. And I think that's what we encounter time and time again as we walk into this first century world where Jesus is ministering. And we think of the, the Jewish life at that time was really one of routine. Uh, they had routines built in within their rhythm of life of when to go to the temple, when to go and have festivals, when to present sacrifices, how to go about their daily lives, how to handle the Sabbath on uh, the weekends. We're going to talk about that next week. And so they, these, religion, uh, these religious activities were integral. They, they were not separated out like we do often today, say Sunday is a church day, but really the Jewish life was all about their religion, their following God, and their habits. And in order to best do this, we've talked about the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis. Uh, they tried to build a system around God's rules and laws and uh, a system to help the people connect with God. I believe their heart really was in the right place. But over time, when we do something over and over, it becomes a routine, a religious habit. And so there are a lot of traditions. And then came along this man, Jesus. And he began to disturb them a little. One, because he began to teach, and it sounded like he'd been trained and had the authority to teach, but he didn't go through all the, the religious pathway. He didn't go and get a rabbi and learn from him, but he had this authority and understanding on his own. And then people, when you begin to teach, and you're a leader of any kind, people begin to watch your life. They begin to watch Jesus' life, and they're like, he doesn't do all these things that we were told you have to do to get to God. A lot of these traditions we have, he and now his disciples are ignoring them. And they began to wonder it, who's right and who's wrong, and controversies are going to be stirred up more and more over uh, how Jesus begins to handle this. And he begins to push them. And today, as we look at this, we're going to see that Jesus is challenging people uh, to trust his teaching or they're going to have to stick with the routine. There's not going to be much in-between ground as he begins to unveil the gospel and God's plan. And some people were ready to receive the new, and others wanted to stick with the old because it was comfortable. And so as we enter this new year today, I want to challenge you um, about new opportunities. I want you to examine your habits, but also really allow God to examine your heart. And to oh, and and really challenge you with this is that is Jesus desires to do something new in you in 2019. And I really believe that's true. And we're going to play that out this morning. Uh, that statement that Jesus does desire to do something new in you. In Mark chapter 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 18, we enter into this scene and the people began to watch. They watched John the Baptist, who was an outspoken teacher, and then they observed he and his disciples and how they lived, and now they're watching Jesus and his disciples. And it said this, it says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, 
If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for new wineskins. So immediately here, we see the number one issue that is being addressed is this idea of fasting and this requirement of fasting. And the idea of fasting is built into the rhythm of life for the Jewish community. There are a few times they are commanded to fast. Not that many, really. And what we had was the disciples would often choose on their own, uh, the disciples of John or the Pharisees choose on their own to, to fast. The most religious of them would fast twice a week. And uh, this was self-imposed to, to help them originally, I think, draw closer to the Lord. But then over time, it became something that you were expected to do if you were a good religious person. I think we kind of view religion like that sometimes. I don't know if you ever have. Of, you know, if it doesn't hurt, if it's not uncomfortable, then it's probably not holy. If we're going to do something for, for God, it's got to hurt. Uh, we can't do anything fun because God's not in that. We're going to address that more as we talk about delighting in God over the coming weeks in our rest series. But we can often think of religion as something that, while at times it has sacrifice, at times we will be persecuted, there are also times where God challenges us and, and uses us in things we actually enjoy. <laughs> it's one of the greatest lessons I learned while here is that God could take this passion I had for basketball, and use it for ministry. Uh, ministry wasn't just things that seemed uncomfortable or out of my reach. He, he took the skills I have and the skills you have and can use them to reach other people. And so within this fasting ritual, they began to view themselves as more holy if they did this. And, and some of the scholars tell us that during that time, they would actually have people and leaders take... Uh, and make their faces look more pale, more white. They'd put ashes on their foreheads. Some of them would wear uh, more tattered clothes and would really work to look forlorn and struggling so that people knew they were fasting. They wanted people to know. And Jesus is going to address this later in his teaching, saying, you know what? <laughs> you do all that stuff on the outside, but your inside is not connecting with me. And so uh, for them, uh, fasting had become an outward work that was not really connected with the inward idea of drawing closer to God. And that's why God gave them fasting, is to give up something here on earth to put aside those comforts and to draw closer to God and remind us that we're dependent on God for everything. And yet they had lost sight of that. And Jesus' response to all of this is really interesting, I think, here in the text, because uh, he knows what they're asking, and he immediately draws them to a wedding. I wonder why. He loves to refer to weddings. Weddings, as we see and we talked about during the Christmas season, they're big events. Uh, they did them upright. They had a week long of partying and having people over with the, the bride and groom and meal after meal enjoying one another's company, celebrating all week long to this big build-up after their um, engagement time. And 
the tradition was, and it was stated by the rabbis, they said, there's an exception. You, you're not required to do anything that would make you uh, sad or take away from the joy of the event. So if there's a religious requirement and you are in the wedding, you didn't have to fast that week because it would have taken away from the bride and the groom's celebration. And so Jesus refers to this. And he immediately says, the bridegroom, and he refers to himself as the bridegroom. And if any of his audience understood the Old Testament or the writings of the prophets, that, that God is often called the bridegroom. The, the bridegroom. And, and God is the one that he's connecting himself with. Once again, he's making a claim to be equal with God. And he's saying, you know what? While they're with me, they don't need to fast. Because the whole point is what? To draw closer to God. Guess what? I'm here. I'm standing with you. You can't get any closer, I don't think, to Jesus than standing right next to him. Well, yeah, you can because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us now. And yet he was trying to make that point that to be with Jesus brings joy. To be with Jesus brings joy. And to be in his presence brings joy. And so why should they not experience that joy? of being in his presence. And so he immediately addresses this issue saying, there'll be time for fasting, and we have times in our lives that we may be called to or, or drawn to fast. But when Jesus is with his disciples, he said, now is not the time. Now is the time for them to enjoy this season of life where I am actually in their presence. And immediately uh, he moves on and he begins to challenge their thinking and uh, their religious practices. But I wonder this morning is, do you find joy in the presence of Jesus? Do you delight in connecting with God? Do you delight in spending time with him? Or are you too busy trying to do things for him or to do religious things? But do you really at your heart's desire to connect to God, to spend time with God? Do you feel guilty whenever you're recreating or you have that vacation time or you take a day off? Or do you feel this comfort in your relationship with the Lord, a, a joy of being with him, a joy and a desire to go to his word because you want to be with Jesus, not because it's something you think you have to do to gain the approval or look good to others. Well, to help his audience understand, Jesus is the master of this. He, he gives word pictures. And what amazes me is many of those word pictures just burst forth and are timeless. And he was in the first century, and the word pictures he gives still speak to us today and help us understand the scriptures even more today. And the first one he gives is of cloth. And if you have a piece of cloth and it hasn't been shrunk yet, it hasn't gotten wet and then experienced that expansion and contraction. You put that on, especially uh, sailors would use it for their sails. If they didn't pre-prepare that new piece of cloth to go on the old, they would end up destroying their sail for their ship. It wouldn't work. The hole would be even bigger than what they started out with. And so this idea of the unshrunk cloth coming together and pulling apart is what he began to describe for them. Why was he going to this? He, he was trying to help them see you've got these religious things you've added on and they're not going to help you move forward with me. <laughs> if you try 
and, and combine the old with the new, it's going to tear apart and you'll be farther away from me than you were in the beginning. And so he's trying to prepare them and say, I'm bringing something new. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been looking for. And the new fabric that Christ brings cannot be interwoven with the, the fibers of religion, and it would simply tear apart. And so we have to be careful whenever we look at these things, and if we make our relationship with God about works, routines, or our efforts, we end up with a bigger hole in our spiritual growth. Because we begin to rely on ourselves instead of the Lord, we begin to get comfortable and say, because I show up and do this each week, I'm good. And we begin to lose that edge of like, man, Lord, what do you want to do in me? How do you want me to grow? Because I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror and I'm not the man I used to be, thank God, but I'm nowhere close to where Christ wants me to be in reflecting who he is to the world. So I always have new work to do and new work that God wants to do in me. And I believe the same is true for all of us. And and I I don't really get too angry and blame the Pharisees. I know how hard it is to start a new habit. I know how hard it is to, to root out some of the sins in my own life. And so when these new things were coming, a new understanding, I can understand their resistance. They're wanting to test Jesus and make sure of who he was. But in doing so, they were never, many of them were never able to let go of the old and move into the new. And they ended up farther apart from God in the end. And a lot of us have to work through that depending on your background, uh, what you were raised with, um, depending on how people have treated you might affect how you look at God. And he wants to do a new work in you. And he wants you to connect with him, not by our own efforts, but through the gospel. And so to help us understand that even more, he, he moves on and he talks about this idea of wineskins, the idea of, of uh, how they stored them. And in ancient culture, I know they, they took the, the skin of a goat and they would uh, try and take it off whole and then they would tan it and process it and then store wine in it. And it had this elasticity and as wine ferments, it, it expands, kind of like shaking a soda bottle uh, with the bubbles and carbonation coming up, but it expands. And uh, he said if you try and take the, old, the new wine and put it into wineskin that's already been used, it's already cracked. It's not going to be able to expand anymore. It's going to burst. Not only will you lose the wineskin, but you will lose the wine. Now, as I looked at this, it's important to re- remember this. <laughs> the old wineskins were useful right? They had already processed wine. The Old Testament is useful. It is God's word. Everything he established there pointed towards the Messiah was important, was necessary for them to understand why Christ had to die on the cross, why he came, why he needed to live a perfect life, the hope that we have in him, for us to understand how God fulfills promises. It has served its purpose, uh, he, he wasn't saying just abolish it, it's worthless, get rid of it, I'm here now. He's saying, I'm here to fulfill all of that and to show you that some of the things you've added to it aren't necessary. So the old wineskins filled their purpose. 
But in order for God to do a new thing, new wineskins were needed for the gospel to come in. And their elasticity needed to be uh, embraced so that God could expand their understanding of what it means to follow him, what it means to have a Messiah who would die once and for all as a final sacrifice and atonement for sin. You see, the, the new life that Christ brings was expanding not only people's understanding of the scriptures and how they applied, but it was changing the very way they lived their lives. And the truth of that gospel continues today. New life in Jesus expands our understanding of God's word and expands our lives. It's an ongoing process that doesn't and hasn't changed. The expansion Jesus brings is at work today, and from the moment he entered into ministry until he comes back, he's in the business of making things new. And that includes you, it includes me, it includes people he's wanting to reach the kingdom through, and he's all about expanding his kingdom by expanding you and I. And as we grow and change and the world sees that, his kingdom begins to spread. And we understand this because the New Testament begins to, to flesh it out and give us this picture of what Jesus was talking about here. Uh, we can read this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We are in Christ. He's doing a new work in us. And he's going to grow us and change us just as that wine grows and changes and as we grow and change we expand now today i wore special pants because it was the holiday season these pants are special they have an elastic wicked span so as i grow and change they change with me <laughs> and uh in our lives god wants to stretch us and grow us and sometimes that's hard it's not it's not comfortable and yet, when he's doing this, it's not just about getting rid of the old, getting rid of habits. If you've studied anything about change or tried to change, it's easy to say, I'd like to stop doing that, but it's even better to replace the old habit with something new. And that's why Paul teaches us in, uh, let's see here, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So it's this idea of putting off and putting on. Maybe you're saying, I, I want to get my anger under control. I want to respond differently when i'm in stressful situations or interacting with my family well don't just say i want to stop doing that replace it with i want to be more kind and as you focus on being more kind with your words or or other fruits of the spirit god begins to replace old habits with new habits don't just say i want to read my bible more well you may have to get rid of some habits or or put that phone more than arm's length away so you don't get distracted by the buzzes, alerts, or things that can distract you, and all of a sudden an hour has gone by, and you're like, what happened? I was going to read my Bible. I was going to pray. And so it's this putting on and taking off. What does God want you to put on? 
What does he want you to take off? What part of your character does he want to work on? Where does he want to grow you and expand you and push you out of your, your comfort zone? See, one of the mistakes of all of the rules the, the Pharisees began to put around everything was religion often takes people and makes us into cookie cutters. <laughs> In other words, what worked for me must work for you and you and you. And God works at us in different places, doesn't he? My old thing and my old habit I'm trying to get rid of might not be the same as yours. And one passage may be really speaking to me and changing me this year, and God may be using another passage to change you and direct your life and challenge you. For some, it may be stepping out of your comfort zone to share your faith. For others, it may be relying on God through a trial or a circumstance you're going through, and he's building patience and endurance. And so our pathway is always through the word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit and obedience, but there are different things God is working within each of us in this body to push us and to grow us. Are we willing to expand and, and, and to allow God to push us beyond our comfort zone? Um, are we willing to push ourselves and, and to really ask God to do something new? See, a lot of Christians and a lot of churches can get comfortable at what I would call a false summit. We can begin to look and say, look how far I've come. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not who I used to be. And, and look how far we've come as a church. Now, we named our church Incline Church uh, for many different reasons. Um, and yeah, I'll back up here, but of course, we know there's the incline in Manitou Springs. Now, me, not having chosen the name yet, it was in the top five at the time, we moved here from Texas, and I think about three weeks later, I tried to go up the incline and only got really barely up it with Randy and his friend. I said, you go on. And I found out it was more painful to go down than go up. And so I only made it about a third of the way up. Then I said, I got to do this. So I got up on... Memorial Day three years ago, or um, Labor Day, and um, went and thought I'd do it on my own. Got there early in the morning, parking was free back then. And uh, I went up, and I was doing pretty good, and I made it to this spot right here. Look how far. That's pretty amazing. That's the bar trail cutoff, a little bit uh, more than halfway up the mountain. And uh, I tell you, I sat down at a little bench there. You look, and uh, I began to tighten up, get sore, and I decided to head on back down that day. <laughs> and uh, life got pretty busy. <laughs> and it wasn't until this last September that I actually got back out and uh, looked to go up it again. And so there's Rachel and I at the beginning. There at the bottom, we were excited to go up and to finally conquer this mountain. And... Uh, you know what, we got up there and we got to that same cutoff and being the son of a mountain climber or the daughter of a mountain climber, she gave me a little snack for the sugar boost and I was like, oh, okay, I'm ready to go. And we made it up past that area called the False Summit and a lot of climbs have that area, the False Summit. You get up to this plateau and you think, oh, I've made it and a lot of hikers set their mind on, I'm going to get to that point that I can see. And they get up there and then there's a letdown because they realize, oh, there's a whole another incline right behind it. And we were able to push 
through that and make it actually to the top. Oh, who looks tired in that picture? <laughs> yeah, I was beet red. We switched out our shirts and uh, put that on there. And Rachel's all smiling. This is great. Is there another more to go? And let's go to the top of Pike's Peak. I'm like, ah, ah, I'm glad I made it. <laughs> but, I, you know, I thought about the spiritual lessons in that climb of just, you know, I was so close to it. And I was like, man, that was shorter than I thought it would be. I could have done this. And yet I bailed out. And, and so many people get to that point spiritually and, and God is pushing you and nudging you and you're like, I'm uncomfortable here and you're missing out on, on more things from the Lord. And then they're not easier. It wasn't easier to walk up. There were times I had to push through. It's hard when we have to grow. Some things are painful to get rid of in our lives. And yet, statistics tell us this about church plants. Between years two and three, if we get to around 70 or 80 people, it's easy, and that's where we're about now is in the 60s and 70s. It's easy to stop and say, look how far we've come. And we should stop and say, Lord, praise you. You've done so many great things. But a lot of churches, especially in this city, you can get to that point and get comfortable and lose your edge and forget we need to be reaching out to people who aren't connected to a church. We need to be reaching the lost. And when we get comfortable as believers, we lose that edge we once had. And in Revelation, God talks about that. He says, one issue I have with your church is you've lost your first love. You've become lukewarm. We don't want to do that. We don't want to stay at the false summit. We want to push forward into what God has for us. And it's an exciting time and, and to see Bob launching out and some of these things we've been praying for and we put on paper. We didn't know if God would actually do them, and he's doing them. But will we keep our edge? Will we keep pushing one another to grow? And for you, will you allow God to expand you? Where does he want to push you out of your comfort zone? Maybe to take a step of faith and trust a promise that you haven't trusted before in 2019. You know, one of the key things for me was having someone to hike with. When I was by myself, I had the negative self-talk, I'm tired. But instead, when I had somebody who told me, you can do this, come on, let's go. Don't wait too long, let's get going. That's why we need each other in the body of Christ, isn't it? We need one another to push each other and say, you can do this, I'm praying for you. Hey, I've been there. I've had to overcome that sin, and I know it's hard. Here's some things that helped me. Maybe they'll help you. And we have that in our gospel communities. We have that here on Sunday mornings in our conversations. It's a gift to be in the body of Christ. And we want to be a church that when people come in, we help you. We don't just say, show up on Sunday. We want you to be changed and be more like Christ. So you can look back and see how God has changed you. But you could also look ahead with hope and excitement for how God can and will use you in this kingdom. You're a bigger part in this kingdom than you realize. And so he wants to expand you and he wants to expand the incline church's impact because he's in the business of that, of changing and making things new. The question is, how will you allow him to do that this year? I encourage you to not get too busy into the rush of things, but to stop. Take a moment, reflect on that today, tomorrow, in the evenings, and really ask God where it is to have you grow. One of the biggest opportunities we're going to have is the Incline Base Camp coming up in February. Uh, next week, we'll celebrate those who've already gone through it. And uh, 
What it is, it's, it's a look at discipleship, maybe in a new way for you that says, it's not one size fits all. But God wants to work through you. How do you take these tools God's given us and make a plan to be a disciple maker and invest in someone else and maybe reflect on what kind of investment you need in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, you're so patient with us. Jesus is so patient here as he is trying to explain the gospel and let people know there's something new that is here. And it's great. It's amazing. It's a new creation. Never before had the world seen the Holy Spirit about to come and indwell people so we can overcome sin by the power of Jesus and the blood of his sacrifice. What an amazing truth the gospel is. And we're living in that time that you were pointing the people forward to, Lord. And you still want to make us new. You want to grow us, expand us, build our faith in you, build our trust in your promises, build our hearts to pray more. Lord, I pray that this would be an exciting year, that we wouldn't get comfortable because you've done so many awesome things. But we'd say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Lord, we want to see you do more. We want to see more people touched with the gospel. We want to be excited about what you're doing. We don't want to just get in a routine for routine's sake. We want to get in a rhythm that draws us closer to you and pushes us to grow. And we just pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now please stand and...